Hello and welcome to Access Show. I'm delighted that our guest today is Molly Joyce. Molly is an artist and creator and also a doctoral student um, and is doing some really, really interesting work around disability and, and, and incorporating um, attitudes to that into her art and, and creation. So Molly, it's fantastic to have you with us. Can you tell us a, a bit about your, your background and, and how you came to be working in this space? Sure, and of course, thank you so much for having me. Um, so I identify as disabled. I was involved in a car accident about 20 years ago that nearly amputated my left hand. Um, and since the accident, I've really journeyed from um, denying my disability to embracing it first and foremost. Um, and I would say that progression has largely paralleled the advancement of my artistic practice um, from music composition to more performance um, and especially community engagement. Um, and specifically with this project discussed, trying to really highlight kind of voices and viewpoints of um, disabled individuals and specifically across the range of disabilities um, and around concepts that are really key to disability culture, um, like access, care, um, interdependence, and more. Excellent. So, so you, you've got an album coming out shortly called mm -hmm. Perspective, and it's out on New Amsterdam Records uh, in about three or four weeks from now, 28th of October. Um, can you tell us a bit more about this? I mean, I've, I've seen some stuff already, but our audience won't have done. So so um, uh, what's it about? What does it contain? Sure. So the album started a couple years ago when I had a conversation with the legendary um, disability activist Judith Human, or Judy Human, um, and she asked why I refer to my left hand as weak. Um, and this question really struck me um, personally, and I'd say almost politically in a way, as I knew that I always said, like, oh, I have a weaker left side. Someone asked what happened or if I had to explain why I couldn't do something. It was kind of a quick and easy way to address my disability and kind of get rid of it at the same time, I think, or kind of get it out of the room, if that makes sense, like not really center it. Um, and so her question really struck me. I don't think she was necessarily saying I have to deny my disability or deny weakness or call it my strong left hand or something. Um, but really, we start talking about how weakness is so central to um, like disabled life overall. And it got me thinking about like, wow, like I really wonder what it means to people across the range of disabilities, um, those with vision impairments, hearing impairments and so forth. Um, so that really kind of set this project in motion where I started with that question of like, what is weakness for you um, and expanded to further concepts and questions related to that, like access, um, care, um, strength, interdependence and more. Um, and then I so I would sit down with the interviewees. Most of the interviews were in person before COVID and some moved virtual um, record the audio for their um, answers, and then at least for the album version, um, kind of edit down their answers to highlights, add my musical underscoring, um, and also create these accompanying kind of open caption videos um, with the open captions of their responses um, to have that visual output and hopefully really underscore kind of access as aesthetic, if you will, with the work, with having the multiple sensory outputs, but also, again, really like uh, valuing the captions as kind of the sole visual for the videos for the work too, um, and really to again just emphasize their responses and their words. 
Mm-hmm. Molly, I, I I am so impressed with your work, and I didn't know about you. And 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 look at you're here in Virginia, right down the road from yeah. me. Excited <laughs> about the work you're doing, but I um, also am very engaged, uh, as we all are on this call, of uh, really looking at what does it mean to be um, have lived experiences with disabilities. You know, can we really? be proud. And I agree. Judy human is an amazing leader. She's, she's been wonderful. And, um, and that was a very interesting question. Why are you calling your, you know, a hand weak? I mean, but it seems like right now, cause even this morning when I was coming on air, um, cause Neil and I had been doing another talk for we connect, but I was playing with my signature line and I was like, you know, I really should put in that I'm billion strong. And, and I, you know, but I also wanted to put in my pronouns, but I wanted to put in my pronouns, not because I really need to tell y'all that I'm a woman that I identify as a woman, but because I want to honor the people that are working on that. Right. So then thinking about what you've been saying and the work you're doing and how you're, you know, putting it into your music, I want to ask you a question in that, why is it so important in right now that we do these things, that we just really dig into what does it mean to truly be human? I mean, because to me, that's what your work is doing. What does it mean to say, Molly, your hand is weak? You know what? So why is this so important right now in the times, the intense times we're living in? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I feel like I want to get back to you in a week or something. You know, that lengthy answer. Um, I would say, especially um, not to point everything on the pandemic, but these concepts and questions I came with right before the pandemic hit, like care, access, and through dependence. I think many um, disabled individuals have written about how um, the disability community was always valuing these concepts that really. Um, you know, uh, shine throughout the pandemic. Again, like care, interdependence, even isolation is one of my questions. And I think that makes it even more relevant now to really learn from the disabled community what they've been fostering so far, um, especially even, you know, statistics on a lot of people will become disabled because of COVID or impacts of the pandemic too, which I think it makes it even all the more relevant to kind of rethink these concepts. Um, and I would also add too with my questions, um, I, I love like interviewing in general, or I just prefer usually to listen anyway, but I really like these questions. And again, I feel like they hopefully don't elicit a yes or no or right or wrong answer that I've had. I think in each section, the interviewees often would contradict each other, I think, in a good way. And that was my goal with the project, too, to really highlight the kind of plurality and diversity of disability viewpoints. Um and just the complications that arise, I think in a good way, or even around like cure and something. And um, and so I just wanted to like stress that as well, I think to really, and to value that diversity rather than like stressing that we have to think one way or the other about these concepts. And that's what makes me so excited about the younger generations that you are doing this. Yeah. Because I, I'm going to say this and I'll turn it over to Antonio or Neil, but I, I have a 35-year-old daughter with Down syndrome. And when she went into middle school, which by the middle school, junior school, whatever you, you call it, um, that's a really hard time for people regardless, you know, yeah. but I was so worried that once again, my daughter's 35 thinking of the generations. I was really worried that she would be picked on 
And what was so really made my heart feel so good was that she was not picked on. It was almost like she was not somebody that could be picked on. Now, my son, who didn't have a disability, oh, my gosh, he was picked on. And I'm sure he gave it out, right? But the kids almost seemed to know that, no, 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 no. Sarah's off limits. You can't do that. And it gave Mm -hmm. me a lot of hope. But even since those times, Mm -hmm. I see the younger generations just being so thoughtful about these things. Mm -hmm. And you're a perfect example of that. So I just wanted to compliment you on that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Neil, did you want to make a comment? Oh, I'm sorry, Antonio. Yeah, but Neil was muted. So Molly, uh, in, in t- when you when you were you know, um, uh, looking and reflecting in and and on yourself, is there anyone that you would see as a uh, as a reference or someone that you realize there's someone here that I can read uh, about that helped me to you know to to reflect about my life, about my things, and came to my own conclusion? Is there one that somehow? ended up being important for you in that process? Um, yeah, like artistically kind of, that helped my thinking. Yes. Um, I mean, I definitely point to Judy Human. obviously. I think she's an, an amazing mentor to so many people because I feel like she always knows the right question to ask at the right time that kind of pushes you. It's like always those questions too that at first like bug you a little bit because you're like, oh, it challenges my thinking, you know, but in a good way, it really progresses. Um, again, at least for myself, my thinking, um, I would also say artistically, I'm always inspired by just such a rich community of disabled artists like um, Christine Sun Kim, um, Shannon Finnegan, Dron Herman, just many, many examples, especially artists, I would say that are really, again, really trying to center like access as aesthetic, um, as I was kind of um, mentioning a little bit before, which I've definitely not like coined that term. I think a lot of disabled artists use it, but really trying to center accessibility facets like open captions or sign language interpretation, like as an artistic element in and of itself, um, especially in artistic productions are usually um, placed, you know, at the, the end or kind of compliance accommodation and viewed as not visually or orally pleasing. Um, so I always love that kind of challenge in a way. Um, and then I would say for, I'm just trying to think about, or when the project began, I was in a fellowship at Washington DC, in Washington, D.C. That was more art and social impact focus. And a lot of artists there were doing more, I'd say, interview-based projects or having contributions from other artists or other individuals overall, like um, Stephanie J. Woods or Ashley Freebie, um, which I think really progressed my thinking too with interviewing um, like the disabled individuals as I do. Because um, I think, to be honest, for a while, I was quite hesitant about doing more communally engaged projects because I wanted to do it as hopefully as ethically and organically as possible. Um, yeah. So d- during your process of creation and, and then developing the music and mm-hmm. trying to make things accessible, do you see any barriers? Do you see that, you no? Know, well, sometimes it's not as easy to do this type of work. Sometimes it's complicated mm-hmm. to do that. Do you feel that sometimes there are still a few things in, in terms of uh, tools and resources that can still that are still a barrier to make content accessible? Uh, definitely. I think where, where to start or how much time do you have? Um, I think one thing is for like practicing disabled artists like myself, like, it's not always built into artistic budget. So having that conversation or trying to find external funding for that, not to be all about the money, I think, but it's 
it's just a little bit awkward as a disabled artist sometimes too, because you're so grateful to have opportunities, but then you're also trying to serve your community or what you really want to stress with the artistic production. And then one more thing I would add too is some of my projects. I like I think you can have maybe overstimulation with if you have say sign language interpretation, open captioning, audio description, like all at once, which I've done in a more recent project, which is exciting and fun, I think, but it's a balance of you know, is it over, it's too much stimulation, you know, in a way to, or trying to find that balance or sometimes just choosing to prioritize the audio description, for example, in certain moments, um, which again, I just find an interesting challenge, which I love kind of exploring as well. It's super interesting. I, 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 I had another question and I'll probably circle back to that, but <laughs> as someone that is ADHD, and is easily distracted. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I think that often, you know, that sort of cacophony of things going on <laughs> can can really be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think some of the the difficulties we have when we're trying to deliver mm-hmm. access for all is that actually there are often conflicting needs. So um, yeah. I, I guess one of the, the 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 good things about electronic media is that we can um, embed this stuff um, and enable it to be switched on or off with user choice, like closed captions, yeah. like yeah. you know audio description tracks, etc. So you can kind of conf- configure stuff to yourself. Yeah. I, I've even got um, an app called My Noise, which I really love, um, yeah. which um, it is it, a sort of random noise generator thing which uh, helps sort of give you white noises in the background to help you sort of focus mm-hmm. and so on. And I love playing around with this and the different sort of tempos and randomizations and so on. And it's a great example of a sort of neuro-inclusive bit of yeah. art tech. Mm-hmm. Um, going, going back to your um, your questions with Judy, uh, and, and the things or, or the question that Judy asked and that, that that started you on your journey. What are the other sort of epiphanies that you've had along the way? Because you said it was a, it was a journey. You know, were there, you know, have you really sort of changed your mind more than once, for, for example? Sure. Um, because I, I certainly have. I've changed my views multiple times um, about things as I've learned more. Were there certain sort of really sort of key points in your understanding of your own lived experience and and, and others during this journey? Yeah, definitely. I'd say a lot, especially prior to even meeting Judy or that conversation. Like, so for a long time, yeah, I would just say I have a weaker left hand. I didn't have a lot of terminology for it. I mean, even going way back, I used to wear like long sleeves all the time or cover it up. That's why I really wanted to do more music composition, I think, and that I didn't have to engage with it that much directly, even though, of course, you know, now that I say that it's lived experience, it's always with you. You can't just like shut it off or on. Um, And then in graduate school, a couple of years ago, I discovered kind of disability studies or independent study. And then I really started, and it was more intuitively that I discovered it, or I was more looking at other disabled musicians. And then I started thinking about 
of course, my own disability, but at first I was just calling it an impairment. Um, and then one of my friends, a few years after that really pushed me, he said, it was like, you're so interested in disability arts and like, do you identify as disabled? Um, and so that really progressed my thinking to that. Um, and then I would say having further conversations with Judy, actually, like she would look at my bio and she'd say, where's disability in your bio or something? I'm not saying she's telling me exactly what to do or being too prescriptive, but I think trying to encourage me to be much more um, public about it. Um, and even terminology like saying non-disabled um, as well. Um, and that really progressed my thinking too. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think another thing that, that's been sort of an epiphany for, for, for me or something that I had to think about quite a lot is um, the sort of idea that having accepted a sort of disability identity is, are we disabled enough? You know, that, that sort of, you know, do I feel guilty assuming the identity? Are there people more disabled than me that deserve the identity more? And then there's that whole sort of pity party thing going on. Yeah, exactly. um, and, and, and sort of how does, you know, you, know, you, you said you, you covered up your arm and, and you, you know, you're, you, you know you, and you look at me, you wouldn't think I, I have a disability. And, and so there's that whole aspect. How do, how do, 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 do you cover some of this sort of idea of, um, <laughs> unsurety, I'm trying to think, lack of confidence in, in identity in some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, definitely, actually. And I think, yeah, I, I neglected to add, I think before I was really identifying as disabled, when I was saying impairment is because I was like doing a lot of research and going to events, but and, but didn't think I was disabled enough. Like you're saying, like, I felt like I wasn't a wheelchair user, didn't have a severe enough impairment. I didn't want to claim that for someone that it meant really a lot or something, you know, and I don't get disability benefits, for example, or something. Um, but then I think I started reading, I think especially in Simi Linton's book, too, or book Claiming Disability, um, I realized that it's really like an identity all to claim in a way, or at least to engage with and learn from. And But I think my thinking on this is always changing, not necessarily maybe around my identity, but like what qualifies as you know, really disability. Like I think one of my interviewees in the project, um, Peter Worley, who's a Swiss activist, states, I think in response to the cure question, like to have disability is to be incurable. Um, and I think that's an interesting working definition for me because it's like, I think it definitely is in my case, like I'll never be so un, um, quote unquote cured. But then there's of course temporary disability, um, and that's what really excites me about disability overall, though, is that it does range from like visible to invisible, congenital to acquired, um, temporary to permanent. Um, so I just always feel like there's more to dive in there, at least for myself, like artistically and intellectually. Excellent. And, 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 and likewise, I mean, we've been doing this series of interviews for eight years and we're still learning. Um, yeah. and, and ideas have definitely evolved and thinking definitely evolved during that nearly a decade now about yeah. identity and and what constitutes disability you know the language of neurodiversity for example and neurodivergence was yeah. extremely uncommon at the beginning yeah. we've done loads and loads of it um of work yeah. on it and interviews on it you know in, in the last few years so so it is a fascinating topic and it's it's mm -hmm. sort of a 
a microcosm of, of, of greater society in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. So when you're producing, you know, when you're producing your art and you're asking the questions of people, what's generally their reaction? Do, are they surprised by the answers that they give? Because sometimes I find that I'm surprised when, when someone asks me a difficult question, I'm surprised um, by what comes out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say, yeah, and with most of the interviews, too, I try not to, unless they ask, like, give the questions beforehand, because I really want that off-the-cuff answers are very spontaneous in a way, or their kind of first reaction. Um, I would say a lot of them, I think I get, la like, laughs, I would say, or how do I say, like, like with weakness, of the, the laugh that'd be like, that doesn't really exist for me, or cure, or something like that, Um I don't know if they ever say they're completely surprised, but I think it really makes them think about the concepts, obviously. I mean, hence the questions. And they, I think it's a more, it's a deeper interview than they expect to or something like that. Because I think it, it can maybe forces you to be a little more introspective about these concepts. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> I think right now, while we as society are digging in to what does it really mean to be human? I mean, we have artificial intelligence when I, I do not believe that we really understand what it means to be intelligent as a human yeah. species. Just me, I'm not as confident. But yeah. it, it's it, but one thing that I have seen is I would like to see people being a little bit nicer and kinder, especially mm -hmm. over borders. Because I know when I first started talking about creating Billion Strong, you know, us mm -hmm. come together, we are over a billion strong. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had Americans, because I'm also an American like you are, Molly, and I mm -hmm. had Americans saying, well, what are you going to do to protect us? You know, because we, we're so tired of being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. By the way, we're tired of being discriminated against. Yeah. And uh, But I said, well, that's not what Billion Strong is going to do. There are mm -hmm. other um, organizations that do that, but that's not what we're going to do. But um, I think I hear people um, when we're in these identity conversations, the language conversations, I hear uh, people that really want changes, uh, Americans, I hear it, a lot of Westerners really um, getting so mad when people with disabilities in other countries use what they perceive to be the wrong language. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, I'll get a ground the example in, um, in the UAE, the United Arabic Emirates, um, mm -hmm. they have chosen to use the, the term um, people of determination um, when they're mm -hmm. looking at, right. And as you could imagine, mm -hmm. that is not very popular in the United States or the UK. Yeah, it is something <laughs> that in that, that culture and in that region that people with intellectual disabilities, like my daughter with Down syndrome, they embrace it with pride. So one thing I'm hoping that we do when we're talking about identity across the world as advocates um, is that we understand that people in other cultures think differently than we do. So, and then we use that as an opportunity to dig into identity anymore. And I think with music composing, there's also an opportunity there. So I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah. About language in terms of identity or well, it, I I know probably you don't like that language. I'm just going to assume because oh, most no, yeah, most Americans don't like that language. But the the point is though, do, do cultures have the right to decide what they're yeah. going to 
I, I mean, I just think it's a very complex problem. And mm-hmm. and I obviously don't expect you to know the answer, Molly. <laughs> but but I do think it's just something worth noting because mm-hmm. I see a lot of times, and I'm once again proud to be an American, but Americans being very mm-hmm. cut and dry. No, you have to use this language. Yeah. They say that like to people that, you know, somebody that has autism and they're like, no, you're identifying wrong. Yeah, just always. Right, right, right. So, I mean, in that angle, I was just, you know, because I know you've seen that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's obviously very complex, as you're saying. I think at least for disability, at least for myself, where I've always thought it's, yeah, I've tried to really just respect what the individual wants or how they want to be identified, even if they want to be identified more as a person with a disability or versus disabled person and et cetera, et cetera. That's why I usually say, I just feel like it's really up to the individual. Um, It was interesting though, or a friend, I think progressed my thinking as I think I used to say like, yeah, like I'm a person with a disability. And then he was like, you probably wouldn't say a person who is female or something or female, you know, or female artist who is female or something. And I mean, it's also brings up another you know, conversation, how, especially with female composers, they usually say female composers, but they don't say male composers or or that need to add that addendum in a way. Um, But at least in regards to disability, that progressed my thinking how I really want to be disabled artists or something, or just putting that first and foremost, um, not trying to add it on at the end. Um, But again, I think it really depends, of course, on the culture and the individual. I'm definitely going to look up that, the Emirates thing. I think that's very interesting. And um, People and I think language is fluid and flexible in a way, you know, it doesn't have to right. be. But I, I think what's so interesting is once again, it is about identity. What is, what is yeah. it really? And, and I, I, I prefer the lived experiences type identity mm-hmm. language as opposed to first person or, you know, I do mm-hmm. like, I, I'm choosing these days to say I have lived experience with ADHD. I have lived experiences as a mother of a daughter with Down syndrome, I have mm-hmm. lived experience as a wife, a widow now that, you know, so, so there are a lot of different ways that we have lived experiences that we can honor. So I, I just, you know, I know I'm digging into these topics in a different way, but I think your music and your composing really lends to um, these issues that we're having, that we're talking about around the world. So compliments. Deborah, but no, uh, language, uh, the English language is something that unites us all. However, you know, I, I'm Portuguese. I, I'm from a different culture. People in the Arab, uh, there are cultural nuances that can only be expressed in their own language. And and sometimes when I'm expressing myself in English, I, I'm exp- I, my brain is in the context of my own culture. So sometimes there are things that don't really fit when I speak in English, and I, I'm not, I might even say things wrong, but because I'm expressing in my own cultural context, so it's 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 very difficult, and so it's, I think it's it's very complicated for someone that is native of the English language to to somehow judge others who are trying to speak their language, ignoring the social cult, cultural context of where they are from. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fair point. Uh, If we go back to persons of determination, I think it's it's an interesting euphemism because I think that that many euphemisms can be just there to um, hide 
disability to sort of brush it into the background. And I think there's a slight difference with this one. I mean, I, I still roll my eyes when I hear it a bit because I'm conditioned as a, an English-speaking Westerner um, to think that it's you know, based on the medical model. But but it's it's an acknowledgement. There's an acknowledgement in there that there isn't in some of these other um, euphemisms. Um, uh, there's an acknowledgement that 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 the world is not accessible and that we are determined and that we have effort and that we have value. And I can understand that in the original language, that probably translates better and that probably does resonate better. But, but But I think that where the problem is, is when the euphemism actually sort of Gets in the way of accept of, of acceptance of disability, then it, then it then it's a, then it's a, something that we have to probably gently challenge because because a lot of these these um, these euphemisms are really there because people are still afraid to claim their identity. Wouldn't you say, Molly? Um, I definitely agree, or even say, I feel like Judy and I talk about this a lot, like even afraid to say the term disability. Like, I feel like I've been on so many panels that are like more in music context, I would say, where I think they don't know how to address disability (laughs) and that that they address the panel, like people of different abilities or different, you know, and you're just like, why can't, I don't totally understand why they can't just say disability or because I think they think it's offensive maybe, but um, and I try, I'm not a very argumentative person, so I try to like, you know, address it if I can, like very um, politely, hopefully. But it just fascinates me how, like, I think you wouldn't say that with um, other identities, especially today in 2022, or kind of veer around the word in a way. Um, and yeah, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, I think I just want to share something. When I when I was a kid, uh, I had to go to uh, orthopedic hospital. And I had, I had to boot some. I had to use some special boots just to correct, uh, 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 to, to do some correction in my legs. And uh, and in, in the hospital, there's a lot of people uh, uh, with disabilities working as employees, manufacturing the boots, doing the orthopedics, doing the work. And when I was a kid, I was always I never, I was not never looking at them as different from me. They were just people there working there to to produce my boots. And that was it. I was not making any difference or establishing any difference between me and them. They were just people who were there, uh, you know, helping me uh, to have comfortable boots. You no, know, it's just probably a perspective of a, of a kid and the way we see the world. And then we grow up and we create all these barriers and all these things around us. Absolutely. Um, one last thing before we close, um, and I have to thank my Twitter for keeping us captioned. Um, go and check it out. Go and check out Perspective, Molly's album. You, you can find it, I'll say it slowly, smarturl.it forward slash perspective album. Check it out, and you can also find it on Bandcamp, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Um, because I think it's a, a, a fascinating project. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about it, Molly. And I hope that you'll enjoy the exploration of the topic that we can have on Twitter as well. Thank you.
And also, just before we go, and thank you so much, Molly. Also, her, I'm sure you can find it on her website. So it's mollyjoyce.com. Just because we want to make it easy for you to find it, buy it. Please give her positive reviews. We need this work to be seen. We should all get behind, you know, supporting each other. So, um, and um, the album is newamrecords.com, newamrecords.com also. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.